Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Ooh To Be A Podcast. My name is Raj Baines and I am your host and joining me back in the office, hey. not from Austria, is Rory Benson. Rory, how are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's a bit cooler out here, so but I don't do well in the heat anyway, so uh, quite enjoying back, in, back being in Huddersfield, especially with the season coming up so quickly now. What's it like having to do some work this week? Has it been a bit of a, <laughs> a shock for you? Oh, mate, I've done more work than you have in the last four days than you have in your life, mate. What was the uh, Wi-Fi situation like? Because people will, will have heard uh, us do the uh, over-the-loudspeaker <laughs> yeah, sort of... it was terrible. I mean, like, we had Wi-Fi in the hotel, but it wasn't good enough to do anything, so... It was a case of like trying to find a cafe in the middle of Kirchberg, which had some Wi-Fi, and Kirchberg is not a big place, so there's probably about three three cafes and probably as many strip clubs, but we stayed away from them and tried to get into the cafes. Didn't catch Michael Heffaly coming out of one in his dressing gown? No, no, unfortunately <laughs> not, no. no. Next time, next time, definitely. <laughs> Going to invite him along to one of your trips? <laughs> no, I don't know what Blake was doing, but I was there. <laughs> um... How was Austria sort of as an experience for you? Is it it's one of your first preseason tours that you've covered, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's the first one I've done away. Um, I was here sort of when they were in Austria last time, but I was back here. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was really interesting. It was nice to get to know the players and a bit more of a personal level um, because I think the tendency is for fans and for us as well to see the players as as not really people as as you know people doing jobs. So they're kind of a free target. I think that's the same with, um, with with journalists to some extent as well. Um, but no, it was good to to get that sort of bond there, and it was nice to meet all the fans that went out there as well. It's about humanizes the experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I think they realise that we're not trying to put them off or anything like that. <laughs> and then, and you know, and and we know that they're, you know, it, it grows the relationship both ways. So no, it was it was a good experience. Um, good week, hard, tough, a lot of work. Um, for us and the players, the players were training pretty much constantly the whole time they were out there. So, uh, well, there was not a holiday at the end of the day, is it? No, yeah, exactly. It's just you have to work harder in a place which is hotter. So it was, uh, yeah, no, it was a good experience, but it was, it was, uh, it was tough. The last thing you saw them do was the Torino friendly, mm-hmm. uh, which happened in quite a picturesque little um, yeah, in Yenba. stadium. Yeah, um, there was a stream going. Um, on HCTV and there was a Italian feed as well for people who didn't have HCTV. Um, so I think most people managed to see this game unlike the previous one. What was it like for you in the ground? Did you see any improvement from the one previous? Was it much the same? The, it, there was a, it was much improved first half because it was a similar team that, that took to the field against Stuttgart. And I think what worried people against Stuttgart was that we thought David Wagner picked something that was close to his first team in the first half and they, they went into the break 2-0 down and they really just didn't look up to it. They they weren't... They just looked second best to Stuttgart. I mean, Stuttgart looked like a very well-drilled lineup, but, you know, Huddersfield Town were nowhere. Um, against Torino, it was it was pretty much the opposite. I thought they were they were really good. They were quick, they were sharp. The pressing was working really well, which it wasn't against Stuttgart. So... It was a much, much improved performance. I think they probably deserved to win it, to be honest. And I thought it was probably against a tougher opposition with uh, you know, Stuttgart just, just being promoted to the Bundesliga as champions of the second division. Torino uh, in ninth or 11th or something in Serie A last season. So they're an established side. They've won the 
Italian title seven times or something like that. Not any time recently. Not any time recently, <laughs> but you know, the, the history's history, isn't it? Yeah. They've won twice as many titles as Huddersfield Town. So, no, it's, it was it was a very, very good performance. And to be honest, I can't name any individual in the team which who particularly made a, a catastrophic error or anything like that. I thought everyone, you know, if we were doing our player ratings now, I thought everyone put in a solid sort of six or seven performance um, for the time that they were on the pitch. I think one cause for concern, if we're to nitpick a little bit, has been the defence because... Mm. There's not been clean sheets. There have been questionable moments in defence. There, are, because there've been a few purchases and there's been injuries and there's been a lot of reaching. And I don't think the same back four has really played together solidly or with any consistency. Uh, that may be a factor. But was there anything on the field that, that worried you in a little bit, or do you think it's just one of those things that happens in pre-season because we've not yet settled on who will be the first choice back four? I think. I think. David Wagner knows who his back four is going to be. I think it's going to be Tommy Smith, Chris Lerver, Christopher Schindler and Zanka to start with. I think that's those are going to be the four that take to the pitch against Crystal Palace. Did Tommy look fit enough to start against Palace? Yeah, he did. He was getting up and down the wing really well. Um, and Kachunga as well looked, looked really lively in front of him and it was just nice to see that partnership going. One of so their successes of last season. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I think that'll be the starting lineup. I think... I wouldn't worry, but... I don't think Schindler and Zanker have had that much time together because Zanker came in a little bit later than everyone else in the transfer window. Christopher Schindler's been ill, uh, which is why he missed the Stuttgart game. You know, Michael Heffler stepping in. So, But they're two classy-looking defenders, so I don't think it'll take them that long to, to settle down, know each other's games. Um, and there wasn't really that much to worry us at, against Torino. You know, it was 2-2, but it really should have been a town win. The goals were sort of... They were, they were avoidable, but they weren't mistakes in a way. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's not something to worry about as yet. And we know what they did last season. We, you know, obviously it's a different uh, ball game in the Premier League compared to the Championship. But I think they've they've brought in someone in Zanka who is more dynamic than Michael Heffler, who is suited to the Premier League a bit more. And Schindler already is, for me, a class centre-back and will be a Premier League player uh, in future seasons. With or without Huddersfield, is that with what or without, well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm under no illusions that Huddersfield aren't going to keep all of their best players if they perform well this season. And I can see Christopher Schindler playing, you know, at, at one of the highest levels. He's He proved last season that he's great as a defender, but also with his feet, you know, and the composure to take the penalty and stuff like that. He's, he's just, he's another level for me. He's one of the players that you'd want Town to try and keep a hold off for as long as mm. possible, though, because he's the, if... If we've got uh, Hogg as the leader in midfield, he's the leader in defence, as much as Tommy Smith is. Yeah, I think one thing about him is that he, because he's so good with his feet, it sort of it breathes confidence into the team from the back. You know, when you know you've got Christopher Schindler there, who's you know he's they won a, a foul against Torino by sort of a little Cruyff turn and just beat the man and got brought down. Just that little bit, just think it settles the midfield down and think well. You know, if we do get beaten, obviously I have to get back, but Christopher Schindler's there. And I think that's the same for all the back four because of the season they had last year, but Christopher Schindler's the heart and soul of that defence. It sort of opens up the, the midfield as well, going forwards and receiving the ball, knowing that we've got two central defenders who can distribute it well enough to pick the right pass, not just be lumping it forwards, not be playing Hollywood balls, but actually start the attack intelligently from the first 
pass onwards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's shown in, in how David Wagner's tried to set up his team in pre-season. I think we've spoken on a previous podcast about Danny Williams dropping back in between the two of them. So they split and it just allows Tommy Smith and Chris Lerver to get further up the field. You can do that when you've got two defenders who can play a ball. I think Michael Heffler as well can play passes as well, but he's, he's probably... He'll be pushing him. Yeah, yeah, he'll be absolutely pushing him. But I think from what I've seen of Zanker, he looks a bit... A bit a bit classier. He's got a few more deft touches. He's whereas, played at a higher level. Exactly, exactly. So I think you know that just breeds confidence throughout the whole team. And, and with Schindler, Zanker, and, and uh, Williams dropping in to that sort of central three, if you like, when Town have the ball, it's you know it's, it only breeds confidence. One of the the players we had sort of one of the less exciting signings purely because of the reports we saw around his arrival was Jonas Lossel. Um, as we said previously, the reports coming out of Germany essentially called him the dodgiest keeper in the Bundesliga last season. We obviously haven't seen enough of him to have made our opinion of him last year, but having seen him fairly regularly and one of the only players to complete 90 minutes regularly as well, has he given you more confidence? Do you think those reports are sort of a bit wayward? Do you think if, if his confidence is up at town straight away, he'll, he'll get off to a better start here than he did in Germany? Uh, I think that's that's going to be the same for any keeper. If if a keeper's, as we've said on a previous podcast again, if a keeper concedes three in his first game and makes a mistake for one of them, you know, you're fighting a, a, a losing battle at that point because you're trying to build your confidence, but then you don't have any in the first place. And if you keep conceding goals, it's just, it's hard to do. From what I've seen of him, he looks absolutely comfortable in, in there. Um, he looks great with his feet. To be honest, with his hands, we've not seen that much of him. It sounds weird to say because Town conceded five goals in the last two games, but none of them I don't think he could have done anything about, really. Um, and there hasn't been that many strikes at goal anyway. So when we talk about the defence as well, I think other teams have just been clinical, which is what it'll be like in the Premier League. But I don't think Lossell's really been called into action that much. And anything he has, I think he's he's dealt with pretty well. What's he look like from set players, crosses and deep uh, set pieces to sort of catch it in the air and challenge and things? Because that's one of the things that foreign keepers often struggle with when mm-hmm. they first arrive in the Premier League is just how many more high balls they've got to deal with and the physicality of you know attackers not being afraid to challenge them in the air for it. Yeah, I think Town have conceded one corner in the last two games um, against <laughs> Torino, they scored a header. That he couldn't be put at fault of that. He didn't didn't go for it. It's a free header as well. It was a free header. Yeah, that was a, a defensive error. But um, no, I, to to be honest, all the crosses that have come in, mostly from corners. If he's claimed them, he's claimed them. He's not fumbled one. He's not punched one. He's actually caught it, which is something which, as you say, European keepers are quite partial to a, like throwing a fist at it. Um, he's not done that. But what I would say is that Torino and Stuttgart play in a similar way to Town. They like to pass the ball around. So any free kick they've got sort of outside the area on either wing, they've tried to take short. So we haven't actually seen a team say what West Brom will do, where they'll just pile big men into the box and see what happens. Uh, I think the Premier League's probably going to be a bit more physical, some of the some of the, the teams that we'll play against there. So I think his it, although he has been tested, I don't think he's been tested to the extent that he will be in the Premier League season. So from what I've seen, he looks he looks good. He looks confident, um, but you know anything can happen in the first game. So hopefully he can keep a, a clean sheet against Crystal Palace and go from strength to strength. As long as he sort of has a solid first five games, you'd imagine mm-hmm. he's 
bids in and his confidence will be up after that. Um, we've seen it plenty with other keepers. You said David De Gea wasn't much rated when he first came over. Liverpool have had their problems with Loris Carrius and Simon Mignolet, which mm-hmm. is why Danny Ward's getting such a big look in. Um, so it's not as if it's an isolated issue, as you say. This is probably something that happens with all keepers and it's the, the biggest danger of them moving clubs is whether or not they're going to fit in straight away or not. The other end of the part, though, the attacking combinations, they seem to be far more interesting because there's so much more competition for place. And they've all seemed to have played really well. I mean, one player that had been, I don't want to say written off, but sort of penciled in as a mainly a substitute was Rajiv Van Lepara. Mm-hmm. He's been one of the standouts in Austria. He really seems to be energised by the proposition of playing in the Premier League. And that comeback against Stuttgart especially was mainly attributed to him. Yeah, I thought Stuttgart, he sparked that that comeback. And it was just... The one thing that I'd say about Rajiv Van der Parra last season is that he got the ball and he has he had all the skills in the world and he liked to beat a man, wait for the man to get back and then beat him again. He just that's what he liked to do. Um and you can kind of understand that, but what I've seen in this preseason is that he's going much more direct. So he can still beat that man, but his his first thought is right, can I get into the box, can I cross it or can I shoot? And he's I think he only scored was it two goals last season. Um and he missed a penalty as well. But from what I've seen, his, his shooting has been so much better this season, probably because we've seen more of it. I think last season, I don't think we saw that many shots from him. We didn't even see that many crosses because it was mostly sort of him and Chris Lerver building down the side, Chris Lerver overlapping and him giving it short there. That was his part in it, more or less. Um, so the, sh- the shots that we've seen him take from in and around the, the box have been on target, which is you know all you can ask really of a, of a, a winger. Uh, and he just looks to be much more focused and much more determined to pick a spot. And it, it's made it so much harder for David Wagner now because, you know, we were thinking as soon as Tom Ince came and it scored a couple of goals in pre-season, you're thinking Kachunga on the right, Ince on the left, uh, Casey Palmer down the middle. That was more or less set in stone. I think the, the situation now appears to be that the place of Ince and Kachunga is set in stone. I don't think either of those two will be dropping out. The only question I would have is where Tom Ince plays and that would be whether or not Casey Palmer starts or whether or not Van der Parra starts. If Van der Parra starts, then Tom Ince goes central. If Casey Palmer starts, then Tom Ince can go wide. I think it's the main battles between them two. Am I right in thinking that or do you think it's wider than that? I think it's, I think it's a bit broader because I think, I think you're right in that the number 10 roles will be filled by either Tom Ince or Casey Palmer. That, you know, they're the two that can play in that position, Rajiv and Aparan. Kachunga can play there, but I don't think he will. Unless they bring anyone else in as well. Unless they bring someone else in, yeah. Um, I do think maybe, because the interesting thing is that Tom Ince can play anywhere in that front three. He's the only one that can really fill every position, I'd say. Um, but maybe Kachunga could as well, but I think he's just proven that on the right with Tommy Smith behind him, that's where he's best. Um, you don't want to break up that partnership no exactly. before. but then I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if at some point early on in the season Kachunga drops to the bench and we see Tom Ince on the right and we see Van La Parra on the left Casey Palmer down the middle so I wouldn't say it's just between Casey Palmer and, and Tom Ince I'd say it's uh, sorry Casey Palmer and, and Van La Parra I'd say it's it's much more Tom Ince will start and then anyone else can really start around him, depending on what position he plays in. Okay, that's interesting. I'm sure that's something we'll probably talk about for the entire season, depending on form, opposition, yeah, and all absolutely. those type of things. Because 
defensively as well, you've got to bear in mind how good Van La Parra is there, perhaps more so than Palmer will be. If we've got a big away game, you'd imagine Palmer is the one who's likely slipped to the bench because the other three defensively will not muck in more, but their natural games are more suited to being slightly more defensively minded. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think, again, Van der Parra last season, he was he was improving defensively, but again, he's taken another step in the right direction over pre-season. His, his tracking back against Torino was was exceptional and, and against Stuttgart as well when, when they were under the cosh for the first part of that half. So, no, it's it's going to be interesting to see who he goes with and it'll be much, much more, I think, this season about who he feels can do a job against individuals in the other team. So if he thinks... Oh, Tom uh, Tom Ince has the beating of of one man. Maybe it's the right back. He'll play Tom Ince on the on the left. Van der Parra will drop out. Casey Palmer will go in the middle. Whereas, if you think it's actually, I think Van der Parra might do this. It'll be Van der Parra on the left, Ince or Palmer in the middle, and Kachunga on the right. And as we've said a million times before as well, they can all swap positions. So it's yeah. not as if they're all gonna stick where they're mm-hmm. plotted down on the map first off. If you're playing podcast bingo at home, it's time to cross one out because it's Cavare Yayadom time. <laughs> if we're still talking about this in a month's time, I'm not going to be amused. Cavare was sent home early from yep. Tor, had a bit of a, a knock. So yep. straight back to France. Yayadom, apparently, as we said before, stalling with Barnsley, wants to leave, obviously. Town obviously want him. Still don't have a right back in. Do we know who it's going to be? What's happening? We're not really sure, to be honest, because obviously Cavari went home because of an injury, but it was interesting that he went to France, not not back to England, so he wasn't going back to sign anything or anything like Does that. Does he still so. belong to a club, though? Because that may be terms of, his, yeah. terms of his trial is to go back there for treatment. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, he might be at Stade getting treatment. We're, we're just not sure. We know he went back to France. We're back to, uh, to Rennes, where Rennes is. Um, mm. What's your gut feeling? Do you think he did enough in the games he played to warrant a contract at a Premier League club? I, to be honest, I don't think so. As as much as I thought he was exceptional against Barnsley, I thought against Stuttgart he was average, and against Udinese he was pretty poor. And I think if I he, only saw him in the Udinese game, and hand on heart, he was the worst player on the pitch. And I don't want to write someone off based on one performance, but if you've got a trial. Yeah. And you, you're trying to essentially sell yourself to a club. It was the opposite performance that you need to put in to earn that, really. Yeah. His fault for the goal. His attacking wasn't great. He showed promise with what he wanted to do coming inside and how he controlled the ball going forward. But the amount of times he ran into a blind alley and obviously having not trained with town as much, a puff went out of him fairly quickly. And this injury seems to have come at a really inopportune time for him. He could be a really good player and he appears to be a good player in there. But Town going into their first Premier League season can't really afford to be taking a punt on a player. Because we've we've talked about it with the other signings. None of these signings are, are a punt. None of them are a gamble. They're filling positions that need to be filled and they're either an improvement on who's the backup there or they're first team ready. And it doesn't appear that Cavari is. I mean, if if they at the club assess Tommy Smith this week and say he doesn't look fit enough to play 90 minutes against Crystal Palace, I don't think most people would feel comfortable seeing Cavari's name starting. No, I think what you've got to... I, I agree with you. And I think what you've got to think about as a, as a second choice for any position is that you want to be able to count on them. You need consistency. 
So why Martin Craney was so good last season is that you knew what you got when you were having him on the pitch. Like Martin Craney is never going to set the world alight, but he was a really solid player in the right back or the centre back positions. The English Danny Alves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I just think for for a second choice, especially like you, you can take a bit of a punt if if you've got a really solid back four, you're an established Premier League team, and you fancy like trying out a right back. I think for Huddersfield Town. What they need to do is obviously they've got Tommy Smith, who is who was exceptional last season. I think he'll find his feet in the Premier League pretty quickly. But in in cover for that, if he is injured, you just someone there who plays the percentages, who's just gonna you know. I, th- I think it's kind of like playing Sunday League football in a way. At right back, we always had the player who would just get it out at any opportunity. You know, if there was any sort of any sort of pressure on, if in doubt, get it out. And that's the kind of player you need as a backup because you just don't you just want to trust your backup not to make an error really it doesn't really matter if they can't get forward if they can't do this can't do that if they're not going to make an error all game and they're going to play their part in the team they know the system well then I think that's fine and I don't think Avari really brings you that the only issue with that is having said how good the relationship between Smith and Kachunga is fullbacks in this Wagner system are really important to how we attack there mm. given the inverted wingers say if we take last season, for example, Kachunga on one wing, Van der Parra on the other. Van der Parra is obviously going to cut in onto his stronger foot. Van der Parra with the ball, um, Kachunga, sorry, with the ball, drifts inside so that he can essentially join as a second striker, which is why he scored so many goals. If you've got a right back there who can't attack, one of the flanks essentially gets taken out of the attacking side of the game. I mean, it's not as big of an issue away from home if... Craney starts at right back and gets Palace, you won't be too worried because you know defensively he'll be as sound as possible. Mm-hmm. But if that was a home game, you wouldn't feel the best because you'd really you'd want to throw everything at them and not having a an attack minded right back may be an issue there, which is why I think the Yidem situation is still ongoing because I think he's the most natural person to essentially ape what Smith does in the existing system and push him for that spot. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to get there, but if he's ever called on, then Town can still play the way that Town play. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true, and I, and I agree with that. But what I would say is, for a, for a club like Town, who have just got promoted to the Premier League, you need a right-back first and foremost who can defend. You can't spend money on, on a right-back who is really good going forward, and then you need to work on his defending. It's much, much the better way around to get a fullback who can defend, who has the attributes in order to be able to attack, and then you drill him in the attacking shape as well, and then that it comes maybe naturally slightly later, but it just it has to be that way around in the top tier. If it was the championship, you could take a punt and you could say, well, we'll play you against Rotherham and it should be fine defensively, but you know just try and keep your shape. I think in the Premier League you have to have someone who can defend first and foremost. The next thing on the agenda really away from that situation which fingers crossed if this is sorted between now and Thursday mm-hmm. I think we crack open a couple of beers in the next episode and celebrate that we've got a right back in because yep. I'm sick and tired of speaking about him <laughs> an unfortunate event in it wasn't in Austria it was before they left Austria but something we learnt while they were out there is that Hogg's going to miss a month so important last season his partnership with Moy was really the foundation of everything Town did both defensively and attacking, because both of them together were, you know, two halves of the whole really for everything Town did. 
him missing for a month would have been a huge body blow last season, but this season it's less so because Danny Williams is there. And we've seen him play, we've seen him play well in pre-season, we've seen him do that hog role, essentially occupy the same space, give it to Moy in the same way, slightly more dynamic, slightly more erratic in a good way going forwards. Hogg's always going to play it simple and maybe try one or two, whereas Williams will push forward and try and grab a goal himself if he can. I mean, Hoggy scored one winner last year, which is priceless, but I think Williams will be slightly more dynamic in that area, which isn't necessarily a good thing if you want him to be a defensive-minded centre midfielder. But obviously, terrible news for Johnny because he had a that's his shirt to give up, really, but... Perfect opportunity for Danny Williams to come in, prove himself at the highest level, which is why he joined Huddersfield in the first place, and try and make that position his own if he can. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with all that. I mean, it is sad for Jonathan Hogg because he was was just exceptional last season. There was no one better in that position, I don't think. Um, And Danny Williams was probably a close second. I thought he was really good as the defensive midfielder for for Reading. Um, As you say, Williams is a bit more expansive. Uh, I think we'll see a bit more of a range of passing which we don't see with Johnny Hogg um, I think it's it's a good thing that it's Crystal Palace Newcastle and is it West Ham third game I think that those three games are not such bad games to miss I think if it was Chelsea Arsenal Man City people would be being, getting worried because those teams Jonathan Hogg's the first name on your team sheet without doubt um, and probably in those games you may have Williams as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's it's unfortunate for, for Hoggy but you know he'll be back and Danny Williams is the perfect replacement for him because he, as I said he's the, he was the second best in that position for me uh, last season so no I've got no qualms with, with, with Danny Williams starting at all he looked like a a real leader for Reading and obviously at the end of the game at Wembley we saw how much it hurt him to have lost that match mm-hmm. Um, both as sort of a team man and individually, he seemed, you know, hell bent on, you know, showing what he can do in the Premier League. I think he's spoken about, you know, feeling vindicated, leaving Germany the way he did, coming to England and trying to get into the Premier League as sort of the you know, widest watched and most popular in a commercial sense probably league in the world, um, as far as growing your profile is concerned. He's probably the men mentality-wise, he's the right sort of player you'd want in there because he's shown that he, he's got something to prove. He's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's not going to back away from anyone. And you'd think that joining a new club, most people are a bit um, sheepish to start with. They take a bit of bedding in, but you know he's a very bombastic, loud character. He already knows a few of the lads, clearly having been on holiday with Kachunga. And you you don't see him taking a backward step, which in those first few games against teams who Town may well finish a season in and around, maybe he is perversely the the, the type of character you want because I don't think he's going to give them any unnecessary respect. He's not going to go to West Ham or, or Newcastle and think you're better than I am or you're better than my club is. He's going to go and he's going to try and beat them, which is what Town need to do. If they finish those games with seven to nine points, it's a perfect start. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. I think Danny Williams is is that sort of player. And I think David Wagner's made a point of it that he's he's brought in characters, maybe not captains of the former club, but you know, model professionals and Danny Williams fits that bill. Uh, and I think 
we, we spoke about confidence earlier on. I think he's the sort of player that it doesn't matter if his if his confidence is at zero. If he makes a mistake, he is going to pick himself up and he's going to pick the team up with him and he's going to go rectify that mistake as soon as possible. And I think that's the right sort of mentality you need, not only in the position that he plays in, but in Huddersfield Town's squad because it's a squad built on, you know, like it's a, it's the never say die attitude. It's the terrier identity. It's this. Oh, it's us against the world, you know. No one's given us a chance, and he just fits that bill perfectly. And I wouldn't, wouldn't back against him, you know, being a real key figure for town this season. One of the things that people often discuss when they discuss Jose Mourinho teams is the siege mentality that he sort of artificially creates within his own teams. Mm-hmm. If you look at the clubs he's been at, I mean, past three Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Man United. These aren't small teams. These aren't teams that are picked on by any means. But to make his squad tighter and to make them fight and try and artificially give them that chip on the shoulder, he almost makes that same us against the world feel there, even though it's not there, even though they've got riches and you know almost everything going for them positively. He almost manipulates it so that they feel as if they are a Huddersfield of the world when they're not, which is clearly something that, David Wagner's not going to have to, you know, make up. It's there, right in front of his face. It's something that, you know, he's going to have experienced, the players are going to have picked up on. And that might be the perfect fuel for them. Yeah, David Wagner's embraced it. He's he said in multiple press conferences last season, he said, you know, we, we know where we come from. We're going to stay humble. We're going to, you know, we're going to do what's right for, for Huddersfield as a town, not just the club. And I think that is just something that, I think that's that's where you can really see David Wagner fitting in with Huddersfield as a town and the club as, in general as well because that's what Dean Hoyle wanted to bring to the club this the pride in your club that sort of terrier identity that terrier spirit you know this is us this is what we stand for David Wagner's bought into that and he's he's conveyed it incredibly to his players and that's for me that is where the promotion came from last season it was this absolute desire to do what's best for the shirt and that's not something that you can create obviously Jose Mourinho has had great success doing that kind of thing and trying to bring that in but for Huddersfield it's natural and it's a natural fit for David Wagner and it seems to be a natural fit for all the players that he's brought in too I think the natural point to move on from that is to acknowledge the wider media perception of Huddersfield with the week ahead of the first game where having all the predictions rolling, everyone's got their own, you know, paragraph on town that's come out. There's been a few good pieces. There was a lovely piece in The Guardian yesterday mm-hmm. about the town and about um, sort of the makeup of the town rather than just the club. Um, but when people have written about on-field activity, more often than not, Huddersfield have been predicted 20th. And there have been some people who have given reasoned argument for that which you can't really you can't really argue against somebody's opinion or perception because if they appear to have done some level of research and still independently come out with the opinion that town are going to finish 20th which you know on paper if you didn't know this club if you didn't know this town if you didn't know the player or the manager or the owner which is where all this comes from then you probably would sit home and go over Huddersfield over their bar what are they doing? <laughs> they'll go right back down where they come from and they'll stay there. But there is a slightly more 
ignorant side to that from the likes of Paul Merson, who is perhaps this season's Ian Holloway. Um, who else has written? Robbie Savage. Robbie so. Savage as well. Uh, you know, the pair of them, I think we say in West Yorkshire, don't know their ass from their elbow. So, to me, I'd take heart from the fact that Huddersfield are being written off for exactly the same reasons you've touched on, because that's the best thing for them. There's no pressure on Huddersfield now. Nobody expects them to do anything, and it is exactly the same as it was last season. Nobody expected them to do anything last season either. They maybe didn't think they'd be relegation candidates, but they thought, you know, mid-table obscurity, maybe win one or two games, play some, you know, pretty tippy-tappy football maybe that this German lad wants to play. But because nobody gave them any respect, they caught them cold. And, you know, they're a Premier League club now, which I don't think anybody out of Huddersfield had predicted. And I think it's exactly the same thing in the Premier League this year. Being written off is the best thing for Huddersfield because... Nobody's going to see it coming. This is, you know, they've got the element of surprise now. And teams will have gone in reading mm. Twitter, having a look at where they go, and they go, oh, we've got Huddersfield this week. Everyone thinks they're going to go down. Then, you know, you're yeah, sorely mistaken. You, Subconsciously, they're going to switch yeah. off. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Well, one thing I'd just add to uh, the predictions thing, the one thing that really grinds me more than anything else is when they say, oh, it's great to see little Huddersfield up in the top flight, but I think they'll finish 20th. It's just like, I think, just to say that, you're eating words because you don't know what you're talking about. You're just trying to fill another f- sort of 20 words of sort of inane babble before you go into into your, your bits. It's like. sort of condescending, isn't it? Enjoy yeah. your big day out and then go back to exactly. where you come from. And I think I think what they don't understand is this. They, they don't understand David Wagner and the mentality he's brought to the club. They don't understand Dean Hoyle and, you know, the the amount of money and the, also the amount of probably time and effort that he puts into it as well to give Huddersfield a really good go of staying in the league. And he doesn't, and I don't think they understand the players either. And I think the one, the one thing above all is that this, this unquantifiable sum of this, this concept that they have that David Wagner has brought in that we're not here to make up the numbers. We're not here to do that. That was something that got overlooked last season in, at the start of the championship by all the championship pundits who had kind of thought Huddersfield are an ir- irrelevant team there. This year, again, Premier League pundits, new set of pundits, think Huddersfield are irre- irrelevant. They don't understand the feeling around the club. And I think, yes, they Huddersfield don't maybe have the best players in the league. That's, you know, that's what money buys you. But I think what people have forgotten over, since money's come in, people have forgotten about the sort of influence that a manager can have on players and an influence that the dressing room can have we saw it with Chelsea finishing the 10th last season they had a shocking start because the manager lost the dressing room and the players are all prima donnas obviously they went on to win it last season with more or less the same team but it's that sort of touchy nature of players you don't know which team's going to do well or which team's not Huddersfield on the complete opposite end of the spectrum than Chelsea were that season they're such a gelled unit. They seem to get on with each other really well. They get on with the manager. They have a healthy relationship with pretty much everyone else at the club. And I think that's something that you can't you can't quantify. You can't put a price on that because that could see them finish anywhere from sort of ninth downwards for me. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them getting towards top half of the table. I'm not going to say that they are. I'm just saying that 
it's something that seems to be overlooked in all the predictions. People are saying, oh yeah, Huddersfield, oh no, nice to see them here, but 20th. Well, I don't think you understand what you're talking about then. I think people deem the size of the club as a weakness, but I think that's also the strongest thing for town as well, the fact that these players have nowhere to escape to, really. And that's not a negative thing. It's not a fishbowl thing, as players have accused Newcastle or Sunderland being in the past where they can't escape football. But there's a community aspect to this club that I don't think outsiders are fully aware of. The fact that players know who the fans are, where they're from, and David Wagner is so focused on getting that across to them. One of his finest achievements since coming to the club is getting such a good measurement of who we are and what this town is all about. And it's no mistake that, as a result, he's captured the imagination of more than the usual fan base, but the entire town. There are people who've not given a blind bit of difference or not you know, had a second thought for football, especially the local club previously. But because they see... Not their success, but the mood of the fans and that infectious sort of optimism and positivity. You see it everywhere and it's it's something that, as you say, it's not quantifiable. It's not something you can really put your finger on. But it seems stronger than just money or economics or names on a sheet. Because, you know, we've seen it pay off once already. For me... Going up through the championship is harder than staying in the Premier League because once you buy a few players and you sort of start scrapping around the bottom end of the Premier League, all those teams are of a similar level. Town are now closer to the level of those bottom end Premier League teams mm-hmm. than they were to the level of Brighton and Newcastle last season in terms of sheer talent and financial power, purely because they get a, a even split of the revenue. And if they stay up another year, they're just as an attractive proposition as anyone else in the Premier League. Maybe not the London clubs, maybe not the top six, but if you've got a choice between going to Stoke or West Ham or somewhere like that, and you know you see this, who's this David Wagner character at Huddersfield? What's going on there? Mm-hmm. He's made everyone that's ever been at his club a better player and everyone seems extremely happy to be there. Nobody really wants to leave. I wonder what that's about. To me, that's a a far more attractive proposition than you know just being another name in another club somewhere else and i think that's what people are missing on and the fact that you know savage and merson will have watched less than 90 minutes of huddersfield for the past 10 years most likely is you know just about shows that they've been asked, oh, can you fill this column in? And they've seen Huddersfield. They know they know nothing about them. They know they've got 100 words to fill, so they stick them in at 20th because that's the easiest thing to do. And I don't think I'd be insulted by that. I think that, you know, we know better than anyone what this team is capable of. And it's, you know, it's a cliche, but the team talk's done for them, really. If David Wagner goes in before the Palace game, sticks up 10 papers on the wall and shows them that they're expected to finish 20th on all of them, those players don't need any more encouragement or motivation. No, I think David Wagner will do that. He did, you know, he, he said that he did that after Ian Holloway predicted them. And he, I think it was, I think he used it about sort of Easter time when they were playing QPR again. And he said, right, look where we are. We can do this. Look what he said. And then, you know, I think we went beaten 2-1, didn't we? So like, it's just, it's one of those things that, like you say, it's just, 
it's unquantifiable and it's something that I think will will aid town, especially getting towards the back end of, of next season if, if they are in a relegation fight, which I probably don't think they are going to be. But if they are, you know, teams get their heads, their heads go down with the players and the teams. You could see it within, I think the one thing that maybe was a bit different last season was that with Hull and Swansea, they both changed managers at a similar time. They brought in managers who who could do what David Wagner did, who can motivate, um, and they and f- from absolutely nowhere, Swansea started winning loads of games. Hull started winning every home game that they ever had. It's interesting that you pick up on Hull though, because the reaction to Marco Silva again from Paul Merson is almost exactly the same as what he's given Huddersfield, because it's a foreign manager and he knows even less about foreign football than he does about the lower leagues in England. Maybe there's a slight xenophobic, you know, tinge to it. Maybe he just really doesn't care about, you know, football away from the top leagues or the top end of the Premier League. Because I'm sure there's probably fans of clubs at the bottom end of the Premier League who goes, you know, he he knows equally less about us than he does about you. There is, you know, a, a theme that arises there. I remember when Maurizio Pochettino first arrived at Southampton, people went, oh, that's them relegated, he can't even speak English, he needs a translator. Mm-hmm. It's something that happens, you know, young, intelligent managers from the continent coming to England seems to get the backs up of certain people in the media. It happened with Andre mm-hmm. Villas-Boas when he was at Chelsea and Tottenham. The amount of times he was attacked by the mail or, you know, that sort of a paper was, yeah. you know, you, you couldn't count it. I mean, there was uh, one specific journalist who actually got in a slangy match with him in the middle of a press conference because of his coverage. So I think it's just, it's not just an isolated incident with Huddersfield. You can, there are so many contributing factors to this that you can plot. The fact that there are so many foreign players, the fact that the manager isn't from here. If we were managed by Steve Bruce or Harry Redknapp, a manager who is, you know, ancient and English and has been in the game for years and is friends with the press and friends with Savage and Merson, but a tenth of the manager and coach that David Wagner is, they wouldn't have put him twentieth. They'd have they'd have put him mid to Yeah, exactly. They're proper football men. Whereas, you know, David Wagner has got more intelligence and more tactical acumen and an ability as coach and his little finger on his toe than either of those two do in my opinion. So as I say, it's not something to get too frustrated about or take to heart. If anything, this is exactly what Huddersfield need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things to use as as fuel, as you say, and then, you know, at the end of the season, we'll laugh it off. We've had um, one question in... Uh, let me just pull it up now. It's coming from Saivan John. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, he says, can we expect more additional signings before the transfer window closes, in which area do we require? If we write off right back, given that we've yeah. already moaned about that, is there anywhere else that you expect anyone to come in at all? Uh, to be honest, I think we've got... I think in terms of strikers, there's enough cover there now because you've got Depotra, Mounier, Wells, if he's still there, Kachunga can play up front, Kwana can play up front. Wide areas, again, Kwana, Kachunga... Van La Parra, Ince, Casey Palmer down the middle, and Ince can cover for Casey Palmer. Centre midfield, Billing, Moy, uh, Hogg, and Williams. I wouldn't be surprised, depending on injuries and stuff, they might try and bring in sort of a utility man for the midfield. Um, you know, someone like, I'm trying to think, like Newcastle had Vernon and Anita last year, someone like that who can 
pretty much play anywhere, right back, centre back, you know, anywhere. Um, I think there's enough in centre back with Stankovic coming back. Stankovic is hoping to come back earlier than December, which was the original date. I think if that is moved forward, I don't think they need another centre back. If it's not, I think again, you know, you've got Martin Craney there who can cover a little bit and Mark Hudson as well. Um, and Dean Whitehead, sorry, I didn't mention in the midfield. So I think, to be honest, I think it's just the right back that they need now. Um, goalkeeper wise as well, they've got, they've called up Ryan Schofield to the first team squad and he looks for the world like he's going to be a, a top, top keeper with his, you know, 17 years old and he won the Toulon tournament with England under 20. So I think it's, no, I think, I think the squad's looking good. Wagner, last time we spoke to him, said he wanted sort of two or three new signings. This was a few weeks ago now, but that was after the Zanka signing, which was the latest one. Um, I think looking at him pre-season, he might actually feel a bit more comfortable if he doesn't get another one in. Um, but as we say, right back is the one that, that everyone's talking about and that's the, the place that they need to have cover for Tommy Smith. That's the priority. Mm. I would like another 10 if possible. Uh, one that's here on a permanent basis if if we can. Just because two players in every position is something I'd want because as good as it is on the wing at the minute, one injury or two and suddenly things get a bit bare bones and we saw that mm. towards the end of last year, especially when both Brown and Palmer were missing. Mm. Yeah. We need a little bit more there, uh, just so that we've got two players in every position. So if we just arbitrarily put Ince and Kachunga on one side, Kwana and Van der Parra on the other, Palmer's in, in the middle by himself, really, because there's no Jack Payne there anymore. Mm-hmm. I know you floated the idea of billing at 10, but that's not his natural position. I would like somebody else who can challenge Palmer for that speciality 10 position, because if we get somebody really creative maybe a goal scorer, somebody of the ilk that of, you know, Ince or Munier, someone sort of eight to ten million perhaps, if not a little bit cheaper if they come from abroad. That's the sort of signing I'd like to see. I don't think they'll be rushing it through. I don't think they'll be panicking about it, as you say. But if they can identify someone and think they can come in and do a job and contribute to staying up, then I can say no reason as to why you'd be opposed to it. Where do you think they'd go for that then? Do you think they would go back abroad or do you think they'd try and look championship? Or Well, the is it Jota from Brentford yeah, was yeah. one that was floated. The club obviously denied it, but we've no idea whether or not those links were, were true or not. There's been a couple of links to, I think there was a young Argentinian that they were linked to, a couple in Germany. So it's obviously, they've put out feelers. I think it's something that they'll be looking into. Um, I remember a couple of seasons ago, Wagner picked up... Uh, Harry Matmore, um, which is a bit of a blast from the past. Uh, but if they can not obviously bring Matmore back because yeah. he wasn't any good in the championship, but I'd, he did score in that route at Leeds though, didn't he? So maybe uh, he's a bit of a cult, cult legend for that. <laughs> we don't play Leeds this year. <laughs> um, not in the league. Not in the league. Can you imagine that cup there? <laughs> Jesus. Um Somebody, you know, just somebody you've probably not heard of before mm-hmm. from the lower end of the Bundesliga or mid-table there, somebody who, you know, he rates that maybe somebody else doesn't. We've got a head of scouting and a guy sat there with Y Scout on his laptop, so I'm sure they'll be able to pick someone off if they need to. Do you think they'd, they'd go for, you say, a permanent deal? Do you think they'll go for some, like a, a youngster then, being that sort of Casey Palmer is in only for the season? I don't think they, I don't think it'll be sort of, 17 to 20 but they seem to be targeting people who are between sort of 
22 to 28, either entering their prime or slapping the middle of it. Mm. So I think between those ages, somewhere in their 20s, ready to play, ready to come in, better than Jack Payne, around the similar level, if not better than Casey Palmer to test him. And then you've got all the, the choice in the world when it comes to it. And the conversation we had about before about who plays where becomes even more complicated and yeah. that's the best possible you know situation to be in yeah I think that's everything then yeah, yeah no other business no I don't think so I think we've covered everything there there was a it's not the most exciting news in the world but there's a financial officer or something I yes new finance director yeah uh, what's his name Darren Bryant who's just joined he was from Card Factory um, he retired in July and he's now joined us as finance director of Huddersfield Town so that's again what the Premier League does to you you need a finance director at that point so um, yeah do you know what shirt number he's got if anybody wants his name on the back <laughs> of the shirt <laughs> I don't think so something like 39 million or 139 million something like that if you want to listen to old episodes of the podcast, we're on iTunes. If you search for it, people have been nice enough to leave us comments on there. So please feel free to do so yourself. Apparently it helps. Um, the better feedback we get, the more podcasts we get to do, the more people we can get to come on and everything. They'll be on Audio Boom as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at OTBAPod. And there is the podcast email, which is podcast at examiner.co.uk for any questions or anything, which we freely encourage. Thank you very much. Rory, I'll speak to you on Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Sony Xperia XA2. Voor 19,50 per maand, 300 minuten of sms'jes en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewustweek. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op, geld lenen kost geld.